at the end of the day, it's if they want to change something, that they do it and then they work on solutions. And uh, no matter whether it's climate or inequality, if it's uh, intercultural understanding, no matter what it is. And I think people at the One Young World, they want to make a change and they have impacted already. Changing Lanes, the official podcast of BMW. Hello and welcome to another episode of Changing Lanes. My name is Nikki Shields and uh, well, I've got to say... This is an exciting one. This is a very exciting podcast because uh, not only am I sitting in the basement of BMW Park Lane, don't worry, they haven't put me in the basement because I've been a naughty girl. Uh, it's because I have two very special guests here with me in the studio that we've set up. Uh, we're meeting face to face, which is actually the first time I've been able to do so since I started hosting the podcast Changing Lane. So it really is exciting. I'm going to give you a bit of a teaser. The title of this podcast is The Future is Now, One Young World, partnering with BMW. Now, we're going to be getting into the discussion of what One Young World is and and the relationship with BMW. Um, But the two guests that I have here with me now is Ilka Horsmeyer and Kate Robertson. Now, they have two very incredible CVs, long CVs. I tried to edit it down, but I struggled um, because they really are quite amazing. First of all, let's say good morning, or it's actually the afternoon now. Um, Ilka and Kate, how are you both? Welcome. Excellent. Thank you. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you, Nikki. Well, thank you very much for joining me. If you don't mind, I'm going to go through your wonderful CVs because they are quite remarkable. Um, Ilka, you actually joined, I hope you don't mind me saying this, you joined BMW Group as a trainee back in 1995, which is truly remarkable. 27 years. I hadn't done the maths. (laughs) And you definitely don't look old enough to be at BMW for 27 years. That is for sure. I'm sure, Kate, you will agree with me. Totally. (laughs) Definitely. But you really have had an amazing career. You're now, um, you've moved up to being a member of the Board of Management of BMW AG, and you're responsible for Human Resources and Labour Relations Director. But just tell us a little bit about your journey of getting to that point, because you really have seen quite a few different sides of the business. The one I'm particularly interested um, is when you became the Senior Vice President for Production and Planning Engines and e-powertrain in back in 2013. But tell us a little bit about the journey, the last 27 years. I know that's a, a very large question to summarise if you can, but um, a bit of an insight into what the last 27 years at BMW has been like. Yeah, you said it already. It's quite amazing. 27 years passed by so fast and the jobs I had were quite amazing. I started in HR. Obviously, I ended back in HR now uh, and uh, then by accident uh, jumped into production. And as a person who studied business administration and with the fact that I was 27 years old, had no clue about production, it was quite amazing that I had been successful in production. So uh, I moved from my first job in production to the second job in production. And then at the end of the day, as you said, uh, doing different jobs in in Plant Dingolfing and Plant Regensburg, being in logistics and doing strategy. I moved uh, to the planning and production of engines and electrical powertrains. 
So that was for me the most amazing time in my career because I was the head of an international network of engine plants and we at the same time were building up all the electrical component plants, uh, the biggest one in Germany being built up at the moment. And uh, I had, of course, big fun in the middle of the transformation. We had the Brexit coming up by that time. So with an engine plant in the UK was quite challenging. And of course, we had the two-handed approach of two drivetrains being set up uh, at the same time, like the combustion engines were increasing and also the um, electrical drivetrain. So it was, I was in the middle of transformation. And then after five years, I went to Dingolfing, our biggest European plant with 22,000 employees. And uh, that was a really great job because uh, our people really make the difference at BMW. And that's the reason why I'm now proud to be the head more or less of all the people of BMW as the CHRO of the company. And um, it was a great time. 27 years passed by like nothing. And uh, 20 years in production, it's a lot about people, their passion for our cars. And I think now we are in the most challenging time of our industry with regard to transformation in the direction of e-mobility and digitalization. Absolutely. I mean, hugely challenging, as you say, but BMW really are leading the curve. And it's quite ironic, actually, that we are sitting here in BMW Park Lane and upstairs, you have the iVision Circular on display, which, of course, is this, um, well, a truly unique car, stands for everything around sustainability and the circular economy, which we can talk about a bit later. But um, yeah, being responsible for 120,000 associates, that's quite a responsibility. (laughs) It is. Um, And at the very beginning of my job as a board member, I mean, we had this exciting thing like COVID coming up. So it was a quick start, I would call it. Gosh, you've been through it all. (laughs) But exciting times ahead. Now, Kate, you may not have been at BMW for 27 years, but you do have an incredible career history, that's for sure. You've been the chairman of the Havas Group from 2006 to 2015 and also then moved into the role as global president from 2013. And, you know, really used to working in those global roles. Um, I suppose one of the most important part of that role is really understanding global institutions, global businesses, and also what unites people. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about your background because you grew up in apartheid in South Africa. There's the leadership of Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, which I'm sure had an influence on your life. And I've got down here in my notes that Kate believes in the limitless possibilities that a sense of shared humanity can create. And I look forward to hearing more about about that. But Kate, tell us what it is that you're actually doing right now. What does a, what does a day in the life of Kate look like? <laughs> well, right now, what I really do is run the organisation that is There's One Young World, which is actually a charity. But it also has a community of its ambassadors around the world, of whom there are 13,000 in every single country in the world. And they really are the work. So there's an organization to run in London, which is only 51 people, not 120,000. But um, it's a very different thing running an NGO versus um, being in the corporate world. I don't particularly like the running of its side because you always feel in the NGO world, you always you're short of financial resources. So your mind goes first to that fundraising, fundraising, fundraising thing, which actually there are more important things to do in NGO world than that. Whereas in the big corporate side, you are well resourced to address issues and not spending your time on going around the corner begging for money. 
And I think also, um, having spent so much of my life in the corporate world, I really like big business. I like how big business operates. I like the decision making. I like the focus. I like the speed of delivery. And I'm a big fan of global corporations that can make change across country after country after country rapidly, which in the NGO world, you never, ever, ever see. It is not how my now world works. So... I sometimes get frustrated because I'm kind of going, I didn't mean to end up here, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get on to this amazing partnership and how that originated between BMW and One Young World, just explain to our listeners who may not have heard what One Young World actually is. It's also a bit of a tongue twister. Try and say that quickly. One Young World, One Young World. Uh, or after a few Kofi, drinks. Kofi and Nan always called it Young One World. Yeah. <laughs> he always did. Um, if you could just explain to us what the charity does, what the ambition of so it is. So One Young World is the forum for young leaders from every single country in the world. That's the defining thing. If you say to me, what's a forum? It's what you want it to be, whether it's an annual summit or a hundred meetings around the world or that it's a community of 13,000 young ambassadors. But it is, it's North Star, as Nelson Mandela would say, it's North Star is to identify and to promote and connect young leaders with a, I suppose, just based on the notion that um, everything in the world, whether it's good or bad, ultimately, in the first instance, is led by someone. So the leadership matters. And this generation being as special as it is, and people often say to me, oh, but they're young people, they've got rose-tinted glasses, they don't know anything, but they are the most informed, most educated, most connected generation in human history, and they are different. So the leadership that emerges in this young cohort is really what the future holds for us. So finding them and inspiring, bringing them to inspirational people, having the titans of global corporates like Ilka, talk to them, care about them, engage with them, um, capitalize on what and who they are, is what we're trying to do. And how do you, I suppose, those kind of young professionals that do you discover them? Do they come to you? How do you find these um, two streams? And I think we're bringing Ilka here on the corporate side. So it's two streams. It's the corporates like BMW choosing their very best. Yeah. And we leave it to the experts like Ilka to go, this is how I'm going to choose. This is what I want. And then beyond that, we've tried over the last four years to go beyond the corporate sector using scholarship money from the corporates to go outside of the um, employees of big business to find young leaders from every single sphere. The only sector that we don't have enough of is people running for public office, but we can come back to that. It's a sore point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Elka, I mean, it sounds absolutely fascinating and what an amazing, I feel like charity is the wrong word to describe it, organisation. What did BMW see in One Young World and why did you decide to get involved? In 2016, we got to know uh, One Young World first time and 
it was six years after you were founded, I guess. Yeah. You were founded in 2010. And as Kate said, it's a leadership development program, I would call it. Yeah? Uh, and therefore, we thought sending people from BMW to the One Young World 2016, uh, I think it was in, in Ottawa, uh, sending people there has a great impact on our company when people come back. Mm -hmm. And it starts, of course, with the selection process. You need to select people who, who are already ambitious enough to make an impact. And then you send them there, you infuse them with all the uh, passion and the ideas of the one young world with the knowledge. And I think that's an important thing. We need knowledge to change things. And with the idea really not to talk about things and problems and to address them or to blame anybody for that, but really to find solutions. And uh, what we saw is that when people came back, and there are now about 200 delegates we sent to the One Young World since then, so we saw that they really impacted the company in a different way when they came back. And for us, of course, the biggest highlight was that the One Young World took place this year in Munich, in our home city, almost next to my office, a few <laughs> footsteps away from my office. And I think we used the home advantage uh, with Munich. <laughs> Very well, yeah. yeah. And Munich is a great city, of course. And Absolutely. I think uh, for the city was great, but also for BMW, we had 60 delegates in the one young world. And I can promise you, and we discussed it today, I can promise you that we will build up a strong network of future leaders within BMW who really want to make an impact on sustainability, which is our key issue these days. This is what it really brings us on to, isn't it? The most important topic that, well, particularly with COPS26 taking place at the moment, everybody is talking about it. And that's down to the kids at school, up to the biggest global corporations in the world. It's all about sustainability. Um, so how do you think, or I suppose in the context of BMW, when we talk about social responsibility, what is BMW doing at the moment to try and achieve um, social responsibility? And uh, if you can give us some examples to talk us through. I think it starts all with our clear picture that individual mobility remains a major need of many people because it means freedom to many people and it means prosperity to, to many people. But if we want to sustain this individual mobility in the future, that we have to change dramatically. I think we all know this because the climate change is there. We know it. We have to cope with this. So our path now is to make individual mobility sustainable. And that's one of our key issues at the moment. And of course, on the other hand, as you all know, sustainability is not just about ecology. It's also about social sustainability. So our biggest task now because one part of social responsibility is securing jobs and train people, develop people. So our biggest task at the moment is to go for the transformation towards electromobility and at the same time take our people with us, secure jobs and train the people for future competences they need. And it's not future competences, current competences. And I think that's for us the biggest task and especially for HR, We have to cope with this very carefully and uh, we are doing so. I mean, we decided already to, to close one of our engine plants due to the fact that we have to restructure our vehicle plant in Munich because we want to build more electrified cars in the plant. And now we are transferring, requalifying all the people in the engine plant to go to Dingolfing to our electrical component plant there. So it's a huge responsibility in that transformation. And this transformation, in my opinion, in our opinion, has to be very much balanced also on a global level with regard to, of course, we have to 
go for sustainability targets. And I think the COP26 will show how far everyone can go. But on the other hand, we have to balance it with economical growth and we need economical growth, I think. And of course, social balance. And uh, that's the biggest task I think we have to address. Yeah, absolutely. And it is amazing how, I guess it's something that's been talked about for a long time, but how much change we're actually seeing in the last couple of years. And, you know, again, the sort of the future holds a huge amount of change. Um, I mean, Kate, what have you seen, um, you know, particularly, I suppose, in, I guess, actually, you've got experience of both the private sector and in the when it comes to the charities, um, how much social sustainability, social responsibility, there is this growing movement, how much is it changing? And how important is it? now? My concern was it would be when I look at our community of ambassadors is they mostly would be under 30. I suppose the the first cohort are probably 33, 34 by now. There's this rising wave of what you were saying there about social responsibility awareness. It's definitely rising that the age group is definitely taking this differently. How much change is depending on how you look at it? I could take BMW as an outstanding example. Obviously, I could talk about Paul Pullman's Unilever in its day and now with Alan Job, again, as outstanding examples. And there are others of these big, I would say, top 20, top 30 corporations in the world where you see this very, very serious take on social responsibility on ESG. There are just as big companies in other parts of the world who are not part of this. I think with young leaders, depending on the country they came from, they would view this situation of social responsibility development as very different. In Germany, in the UK, parts of the States, Canada, things may look reasonable. Global South, parts of Latin America, Asia, not so much. So I think I think it's difficult for all of us sitting here because we are looking with the Western lens. No, it's very true. And bringing together, because I think it's it, what you have young professionals from over 190 different countries coming together for those leadership development programs. So do you see a real difference in approach, in output, in belief that they can do something to change? Because I suppose if in the more Western world, we can see change. Therefore, it's easier to believe that you can have an impact. Whereas if what you're seeing is a think, slow movement. I think the difference with this community is that even if it's someone, let's say, coming from somewhere that's now tough, like let's say Madagascar, yeah, it's still going to be the young leader that we see is a leader. And they tend to have some belief in themselves that they really can do something. I think from some countries, the, the doing something becomes saying something and it's a cry of anguish. And that's quite a difficult thing. But they are united across the world in their values. They share a set of values, which really is inspiring, but can be heartbreaking because you do look at the human condition and you go, you know what? They absolutely get that the other guy, the other girl is just another human being. And they all see it exactly the same way. So you do then, if you're my age, say, you do look and go, well, why the hell are we divided? Really interesting. That's why it's called One Young World. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what people or leaders want to change. I mean, it depends on what the problem is. Yeah, But at the end of the day, it's if they want to change something, that they do it and then they work on solutions. 
And uh, no matter whether it's climate or inequality, if it's uh, intercultural understanding, no matter what it is. And I think people at the One Young World, they want to make a change and they have impacted already, most of them. So do you yeah. think you can sort of spot these young leaders a mile off, you know, I mean, you've had to sort of pick, I suppose, within BMW, Ilka, you know, the ones that you want to go to the programme. What is it that you're looking for in that individual, in their, their characteristics, in their work? How do you know that they're going to be a young leader or, you know, promising leader of our future? I wouldn't go that far that I can spot them on the street, yeah, because they don't have this in their eyes or something. But uh, what we are looking for is for people who want to go deep into the topics, who just uh, really want to understand topics or the issues we are tackling, like climate change or, or how we contribute as a company to get uh, individual mobility more sustainable. So building up knowledge is one thing. Collaborating and connecting with others, I think that's the key in the future. We can't solve the problems uh, on a company level or on a state level. We can't mm -hmm. solve the problems uh, on our own. So we need people who want to collaborate and look for solutions in cooperation with others. I think that's one thing. We want to have people who are innovative because all the solutions we are looking for in the automotive industry are related to technology. And uh, I think not only in our industry, but also in other industries. So we need people who are innovative enough to do so. And uh, we need people who really show that they want to make decisions and they want to deliver. Because you can talk a lot, you can go yeah. on the street, uh, <laughs> you, can, that, <laughs> you can do all these things, but you won't change something despite of creating awareness. Yeah, But at the end of the day, somebody has to do something. Because individual mobility is not getting more sustainable by going on the street and talking about it. Yeah? So we need engineers with creativity. We need teams who really engage in answering questions. And we had two young leaders at the One Young World from BMW. It was Evelyn and Florian in their department. One is a seat designer, one was a seat engineer. They came up with the idea to create a seat cover, uh, which was more or less CO2 free out of recycled material yeah and they pushed it through their organization yeah and they really made an impact in their own organization in their real job and not somewhere yeah and we need these type of people and uh, i'm very happy that many of our young employees passionate employees are friends of fridays of future but they go to bmw because they know that they can make a change there that they can contribute physically with a solution to a problem we all see. Do you think there's something in it as well about being accountable? You know, we all feel much more accountable for our carbon footprint and the, the damage of destruction that we're leaving behind us. And actually, now that we're more accountable for it, we realise that we can actually do something and we can make a difference and we can make changes. And, you know, particularly in the automotive industry, um, when it comes to transportation, transportation is very accountable for that carbon footprint. And so the big global car manufacturers really feel that... Um, well, they have a duty of care to the planet that they have to make action. Therefore, your employees really feel that responsibility perhaps more than maybe somebody else. Yeah, and for BMW, it's very clear. We set up clear targets because we don't want just to talk, as I said, set like targets carbon free in 20, I don't know, something Yeah, when everybody is retired already. So we set up clear targets until 2030. We want to reduce the CO2 footprint of our cars by 2030 by 40%. And that means really tough work in our own production sites. We want to reduce the carbon footprint by 80%. 
of course, uh, in the usage of the car by 40%, we need a lot of green energy for that. And the third thing, and this is the most toughest one, is in the supply chain, because 70% of the value chain is done by our suppliers. So we have to go into the supply chain and we want to reduce the carbon footprint in the supply chain by until 2030 by 20%. So by doing this, we really have to look for two things. First of all, we need green energy in the production of our components. And secondly, we need to have secondary material because the carbon footprint of secondary material is much lower than of primary material. And to do this, we need cooperation because we can't do all this on our own. We need our suppliers, we need different industries to recycle plastic and all these kind of things. So it's a huge task we are facing at the moment and it's not as simple as some people try to make it. Mm -mm. Just to replace combustion engines by electrical engines. This is not the future of sustainable mobility. You have to go in the whole value chain and of course you have to look for circularity and to reduce raw materials. I mean, absolutely fascinating. And to get the supply chain to change their carbon footprint is no easy task, which I guess is when a you can ask, obviously, and I suppose you can always move to alternative suppliers if they don't start to comply. But that's where it comes back to policymakers and, you know, decisions at the top that suddenly have an impact on their production. So you're all working together to reach that end goal. And that is what makes me sometimes very sad that some people try to reduce that complex question of sustainable individual mobility of the future to just the question of do the automakers have electrified cars? We have electrified cars yeah? and we have electric cars enough in the near future. We will have 25 electrified cars on the street in 2023. So at the end of the day, we need much more. We need charging infrastructure. We need green energy to charge the cars and to reduce the carbon footprint of the supply chain. And we need, of course, circularity and secondary material to reduce it even further. So you see the size of the task ahead, and it's not acceptable to simplify it as we see it sometimes. No, definitely not. Now, I can sort of vaguely understand how complicated your role is. <laughs> but I can promise you, Nikki, that we are leading the pace. Yeah, And, and we will, especially with the circularity, you saw the BMW iVision circular upstairs, we will go for the corporations we need and the collaboration we need to push that forward. Yeah, which is just brilliant. And that's exactly, you know, leading by example. It was funny, I... Um, I was clearing out some old books the other day and I had a subscription to National Geographic and I just happened to open, it was the only magazine I opened. I had literally like piles and piles and piles. I opened the first one and on the first page, there was an advert for the concept of the BMW i3 and i8. And I looked at the front and it was dated 2011. I was like, wow, that was back then. <laughs> and I love to drive the i3. It's, it's still too. a very modern car. <laughs> and, uh, and I love it every day. But Kate, uh, Ilka mentioned how, or the qualities, I suppose, that she looks for at the staff at BMW to kind of highlight who is um, going to be one of these young leaders and, and, you know, who should come and join the One Young World programme. What do you look for? How do you spot the quality of a young I, I, you leader know, and a young person? Because I don't have to choose them. I suppose I see it a slightly <laughs> different way. But even when I meet a group of them, 
there'll always be a couple of super bright faces that attract you first where you go, oh, that's one of them, because there's a kind of energy coming off. But then sometimes you've got somebody standing there who's the quieter person who takes you at first. You go, well, you know, she seems very quiet. That may be the one. As you get to know them, what you see is something that I think marks them out is this determination to follow an argument or a position or a project. There's an absolute determination that this has to be seen through. And everything you work on with them, whether I, you know, maybe somebody who's been emailing me or they send something or they show up at an event where they're speaking and you see this focus, you see that they are following, that they are intent on delivering action on something. And then you see these qualities that everybody talks about in leadership. You do see courage. You do see this essential of persistence. But what you get also with youngsters, which I think is a wonderful thing to see, you get a sense of possibility. And people say, oh, that's that's just because they're naive, because they don't know. They have a sense of possibility. They also have time not in climate change, but mostly they have time on their side and they have hope. They have things that I think when you get much older in life, you don't see things quite the same way. And those surround this making of this leader and you can see them developing quite clearly. I think some of them I feel in an old fashioned sense are probably born with what we used to call the charism of leadership. But one of them said to me some years ago, about eight years ago, a fabulous ambassador in South Africa, Siswe Mpofu Walsh, who is, is, ought to be running the country as far as I'm concerned. But he was asked a question by a journalist at SABC, and he said, I'm not sure when it manifests, but everybody has a leader latent within them. It depends what awakens that. And can be for good, it can be for ill. Let's face it, there have been some big leaders in the world who have led the world where we didn't want to go. But persistence, I think, is probably the thing that over a period of time of knowing someone will mark someone out, that they stay with it. Mm-hmm. Perseverance, isn't and it? And I like Ilka yeah. mentioned this word earlier, and I can't remember what the context was, but it is this thing, yes, you said in choosing your delegates about ambition. And ambition sometimes these days treated as a bit pejoratively, but ambition is a is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> Have you both got lots of ambition? Yes. <laughs> I've got this thing when people say, you know, okay, you know, this is one year world's mission, but what's the vision? And then I always go, well, when the G- leaders of the G20 in the world are one year world ambassadors, then I can die. But that's much too early, Kate. Uh, <laughs> and I just think, yeah, that's that's the one because then the world will, then, then mankind will be safe. Wow. Then things will be, start to be okay. And you're absolutely right. I think you only can do a job well if you're passionate about it. I mean, there are so many things to do. And I think being in the board of management of BMW in these times where this transformation is so big, Uh, because we are talking about the future of the company, we are talking about the future of mobility, and uh, and, and it's the biggest transformation. It's in the biggest transformation. Since the industrial I, I'm I'm totally agree, and for the auto Huge. industry, it's definitely the biggest uh, biggest change in in the industry within the last I don't know 100 years, 
I mean, BMW is over 100 years. You see, I think it's taken huge leadership from you guys in your sector because really it's a very simple thing to do and we know some of the competitors who've been there. Just say, can't do it. That's how automotive's always been done and that's how it's going to stay. And then where would we be? Yeah, we don't want to end up like Nokia. I think it's Kodak or Nokia. And these are the examples where these changes weren't recognized And people thought that things continue to go as they have been in the last But uh, they the could have years. changed easily, you guys not. The changes you guys are making are seismic. The changes they needed to make were That's the reason less. why leadership is so important for BMW. And we have seen it during COVID. I think in good times, leadership is very easy. Everybody can be promoted. Everything is very easy. Yeah, mm, But mm. During COVID, of course, people are looking so much for what management is doing. Yeah, People rely on the leadership uh, of the company. And uh, we just currently saw the results of our employee survey we did four weeks ago. And we saw that people really trusted us with what we did on the COVID crisis management, but also on the strategy for the future. And the strategy is very clear to make BMW sustainable and not to make sustainability at BMW. And uh, at the moment, we are very much investing also in our leadership training. And interestingly, because you were mentioning that earlier, interestingly, when we looked at what are the leadership habits we need, we looked, of course, into management literature and we looked at universities and who's teaching what and so on. And we came back with the result that the leadership habits in the last 20 years didn't change. I mean, if you look at whatever everybody is teaching, yeah, it's always the same four things. But the complexity of the environment in which you have to apply this has changed dramatically. So it's always you have to make decisions. That's the first leadership thing you have to do as a leader. The second thing is you have to deliver because you can't just talk. You have to Action bring things delivered. on the street. Action delivered. Yeah. The third thing is collaboration. And the fourth thing is empowerment. And when we teach our people or when we discuss that with our people, with our leadership team recently, or we discussed it, they said, okay, what's new? And I said, the four items are not new. I mean, you know them for 10, 15, 20 years. But as I said, the environment under which we are now have to apply this has completely changed. Decide with all this uncertainty outside with all this political situation changing every day with regulators doing things yeah you have to make decisions under uncertainty and you have to accept in the face of a stream of communication right in the face of a stream of uncontrolled communication i think that's one thing yeah deliver of course that's for us very normal because we are in production we have to deliver cars every day yeah but also delivering with all these problems we see outside. I mean, look at the chip crisis at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> To deliver is not easy. Yeah, It challenges you. You have to find different ways on coping with these kind of situations or COVID. Yeah? Of course, we had to produce during COVID. Collaboration. Of course, we had to collaborate in the past, but now there's no chance to do it your own. Yeah. As a company, as an individual within the company, the complexity of a car has increased so much that you can't do it on your own. And also to solve all the issues we discussed earlier, of course, you can't do it on your own. You have to have cross-sectoral cooperation, etc. And the last one, empowerment of people, of course, to empower people was a task of management for ages. But I think there's a new dimension on this because you have new generations, new people coming up, you have new skills, you need lifelong learning. We discussed yeah. it yesterday. So it's a 
full new dimension of leadership we need uh, in the future. I mean, it's fascinating to hear that. But, um, you know, I think the importance is going back to, well, actually, it's a question to both of you, I suppose. Why are our young leaders so important? I mean, Kate, I think you sort of touched upon it earlier in that we want to be able to, you know, know that we are going to be living in a safe world. Is that what it all comes down to? Why is it so important to have I think young leaders? I think... It's important to have these young leaders, but from a One Young World perspective, it was important to have these young leaders in every single country in the world. Why? Because the context is a world of challenges that can only be addressed by every nation acting or every company acting globally. So if you go back when we started on this um I remember at Davos that we used to hear then about, we were working on climate change stuff then, 2008, 2009. I heard Bill Gates' speeches then about the coming pandemic. And the next thing was the financial crash. And when you think about that, if you're from my age group, it's inconceivable that the financial system of the world came within 11 hours of the financial system of the world seizing completely. And I didn't understand at the time really what that meant. But the guy who was the MD of the Bank of Abu Dhabi in the UK explained to me, Kate, what it meant was the system stopped. You went to the cash point, the money didn't come out. Your mortgage wasn't paid. The banks were shut. Everything stopped. If you're an ordinary citizen, you're going, how the hell did they do that? What happened? So here was the finance system that my age group had sleepwalked into a finance system that was global, that existed independently of nation borders and nation decisions and business decisions, and it was contagion. And we looked at that, and then you get climate change coming down the track, and you're going, well, guess what? It doesn't really matter if one country sorts it. If the others don't sort it, we're all going to die anyway. And then if you look at what happened with the pandemic, there we had it. No nation stayed on its own. New Zealand shut its borders, tried to shut everything down. That didn't work. China's done sealing off parts. That hasn't worked either. And here we are. So what have you got? You've got one world. And the people who need to be prepared to step in and lead that world and not just individual or nation state interests are going to be young because who are the masters of the digital universe? They're not my age group, that's for sure. So they really, really, this leadership matters in a time, as you said, Ilkan, it's such an important distinction about this time, in a time of maximum complexity, because this is now so complicated. And they are facing an ingrained system of division, of constant use of division for individual power and purpose. And it's there all the time. Look at that conversation we were having upstairs with Wen Yu, who's Taiwanese. And her perspective, this is a very, very bright youngster, her perspective on Taiwan and China no one she knows in China is particularly bothered about Taiwan. No one in Taiwan hates China particularly or hates anything there. They're living and putting up with each other. So, And you kind of go, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
what? And we've seen it. We see it in every country. Somebody comes up with differences as a cause for division. And off we go. And it's, you know, is it Santana's theory of humankind? Are we forever that way? But in a connected world, the way that that trouble and conflict and bad stuff moves so quickly is something that these young people are, are dealing with. And it will need leadership and of the highest caliber. And frankly, most of the political leadership that is extant in the world today is absolutely appalling. And I think that's one of the good reasons why BMW is working with One Yarn World, because I think the network, the intercultural understanding, listening to the people, connecting with each other and looking at the problems from a different perspective. I think that is really what is One Yarn World delivering. And that's the reason why we are so positive about cooperating with you and uh, positive sending our young leaders there, because I think we strengthen their leadership skills by sending them to the One Young World. You strengthen their skills by sending them there. Are you also keeping an eye out for hiring more to bring back across to BMW? <laughs> That's fair enough, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the I mean, consultancies do. The consultancies are always looking at your people. <laughs> But that's okay. I mean, we are looking for young talents uh, who are motivated to really contribute to that huge task we are addressing at the moment. And I'm very happy to see that, as I said earlier, that many youngsters really want to come to BMW because they see that mm. uh, they can make a change there and uh, that they really can impact as our young people at the One Young World uh, this year and the years before. So, of course, it's beneficial for us both. Yeah, and that's the best thing for a good cooperation. Clearly, you're both amazing at mentors to literally hundreds of thousands of people, um, which is quite amazing. What about both of you? Did you have mentors throughout your career when you were growing up? Is there any particular special person that you'd mention? In 27 years in BMW, there were a lot of inspiring people inside and outside uh, BMW who always contributed bits and pieces to my development. So there's not the one person I would like to mention and say, okay, this person influenced me most. But I think there's a lot of things I learned from bosses, from colleagues, from people outside of BMW, from discussions I had, uh, exposure I had to uh, like the One Young World or other organizations. And I think that's the trick. It's not that you mainly look for one inspiration. I think you have to build up your own little network of inspirations. And it's a growing ecosystem, I would call it. Uh, for me, it was always like, how can you grow? You read something, you go to events, uh, you meet people, and you build up your own competence. And, and I think that's important uh, when you're in a management position, you need to have an outside view. And you have to grasp whatever is happening, and you have to incorporate it in your thoughts about what is right for the company. And uh, of course, you have to incorporate it in your personal development. And Kate, what about you? Have you had a no? I don't a just listen to Il coming. You you inspire me because I cannot believe the scale of the job that you're doing. I just sit there with my jaw on the floor. I mean, for me, I think like Elke, you know, lots of people who touch your work life. Who there's so many things that you see. I think when I was in early stages of a long career in advertising. Mentoring wasn't around. It kind of wasn't done. It just it just wasn't there. So you had bits and pieces of influence around the place. Now, I was definitely influenced by a working mother in a time, particularly in South Africa, where white women didn't work. But my mother did. So I grew up with that expectation, which is probably, I think in my case, was probably actually a very healthy thing. And also an expectation that 
you would be an equal in the world of work. And then you got into the world of work and had to realize that a lot of people don't think you're equal. And that's its own story. I mean, for me, just seeing if I meet someone like Ilka with this just unbelievable job to be done, just sitting there and doing it. When you see that sort of thing, you do think things are possible. You do think things can be done. You do think you can do more. You do think you can find a way to tackle a problem. And I'm grateful for the times where I've seen that kind of thing going on. I mean, people that we've had at One Young World who drop you to your knees for inspiration. Kofi Annan was just somebody to work with. He really really, really was. And that whole period we had before Copenhagen COP of working with him, where I worked with him every single week on that campaign for almost a year, you're learning a lot there. And you're learning there by accident from a secretary general, which what are you learning there with Kofi Real is the highest, highest, highest levels of diplomacy. And look at around the world today and you just wonder where has diplomacy gone? Our foreign diplomacy across the world at the moment is not that good. And he was really, really serious about that. And this just, I think, one in world for me, I just feel a privilege in my life now to be exposed, whether it's yourself, Kofi Annan, Desmond Tutu, Paul Polman, just to work even half an hour alongside people. You're getting mentoring by osmosis and Boy, your standards. But I think you're tackling a very <laughs> important standards. point, uh, <laughs> lifelong learning. I mean, uh, when I left university, I mean, by the time I left university, I think many people thought, okay, now we go on a job, we learn something on the job, and then learning is done. Yeah, because university is done, so learning is done. Me, for sure. Uh, Absolutely. And, and I think what Kate just explained and what is my experience, even as a member of the board, you learn every day. Yeah, That's wonderful. Uh, and you have to learn every day. And yeah. you, you, yeah. you need to incorporate whatever you learn into your action. And it's great to have that exposure. So you basically you're sort of saying if you get to a point in your career where you don't feel you're learning every day, you need to change something. That's right. Because <laughs> you're in the I wrong role. It would never happen or... in 27 years in BMW. So. <laughs> And almost coming to the end of our time, I suppose for the generation of associates at BMW, young professionals who are listening to this podcast and to hearing you speak, what advice would you give? I think... You've kind of outlined the characteristics that you would have spotted to see who would you know, be part of the One Young World programme. But yeah, what advice would you give to someone that aspires to be a leader? I think if you go back to the way Nikki phrased that, if you're talking about young professionals, I think for many of the young people that we see, my urging with them always is never to get distracted by the dilemma posed by seeing work as a pain in the neck or a chore or something I don't want to have to do. I want to stop work. Why would I have to work so hard? I wish I worked fewer hours. I don't want to work. Work is a bad thing. And I think in quite a lot of developed countries, that becomes a bit of a thing, that it's a pain to work. And I'm always saying to young people that I deal with, work is a privilege. It is one of the greatest privileges of your life. To be given the means to live and to survive is just a privilege. Speak to someone who never and never will have work. To find a person desperate, depressed, alone, 
with no future and no hope. And I think once you start to see as a young person, once you start to see work as a privilege, you start to enjoy it and you start to get more out of it <laughs> and you start to realize what your life can be and what you can actually do with the thing. But it's just changing that lens. And when some, that's why I said to them today when we were talking, you know, I, I love that Hamilton thing. And I love to say to someone, you have a privilege. Your work is such a privilege. Don't throw away your shot. Don't waste your shot. Mm -hmm. This is your shot. Would you like a rendition? Because <laughs> that song is going to be stuck in my head now. <laughs> I couldn't agree more, Kate, because I think to our audience, if not you, who then can change the face of the world? You have the education, you have the means to do so. And uh, if you follow your passion, I'm pretty sure that you will make a great job. If you follow your passion and have the knowledge, I think that's a very important thing. And if you cooperate, you will achieve more than you can ever imagine. Yeah. And on the days when you believe that you haven't achieved anything, <laughs> I give you a nice recommendation. Just in the car, in the evening, when you drive home or you go in the subway, just think about the three good things you achieved that day. Sometimes it takes some time to grasp it. Yeah? Uh, and even if you had a bad day. But at the end of the day, just think about it long enough and you will find something that you achieved that day. Even if it's a just a very simple thing like that you made somebody happy or whatever it was. And then start the next morning. Every morning there's a sunrise. Every week has a Monday to start to make a change. Wonderful, wonderful advice. And I suppose there is this um, a bit great. of a change in the ethos of work at the moment because I guess we were all getting into this a bit of a rat run, I suppose, before COVID. I think things have changed now and getting a healthy work-life balance is now quite important for corporations to help push. You know, you want to really support your employees. What are sort of BMW's view on all of that? And yeah, what do you kind of do to help promote the right, if there is a right, <laughs> work-life balance? <laughs> I don't know if I want to talk about work-life balance. I want to talk about work-life integration. Yeah, uh, because you completely. And I don't want to reduce that whole question to the number of days you're spending in home office. That's not the right way of thinking about it. It's the question about how you set up a work environment that really encourages people and unleashes their potential with regard to innovation, with regard to leadership, with regard to solutions we need to go for that uh, sustainable individual mobility. And I think that's our task. And I'm very happy that I'm not only responsible for the people at BMW, but also for the places at BMW. So I'm, I'm responsible for all the facilities of BMW. And, and they are fabulous. <laughs> they are fabulous, as we see here in Park Lane. And I think to create a work environment where this is possible, of course, incorporating the benefits of hybrid and virtual work yeah, and remote work. But uh, I think to incorporate that in a very intelligent way and in a way that it suits to the task the people have, because it's different. If you're working in production, I mean, you can't Completely work remote. Yeah? Yeah. If you work, for example, here in sales, you have to be where the customer is. If you work in different areas, you can work in a completely different setup. So I think the individuality of the setup we choose for each and every task we have at BMW, and we have a variety of tasks at BMW, that's the key to success. We call this, by the way, connected works 
because I think that's the right way to address this. And uh, I think we are just implementing it and uh, we are very keen to see the results because I'm pretty sure that the creativity of a company is not done in home office. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that new terminology, yeah. the work-life integration. And as a, I think, so I work freelance, I've sort of, you know, I manage that myself. So actually, it's something that as a freelancer, I think you do quite naturally. Whereas when you tend to work for a corporation, you work Monday to Friday from nine to five, probably longer, but you know, so it does become this, that's my work time. And this is my home time. Whereas actually, that's not really the world that we live in anymore. No. And that doesn't actually work for everyone. And no. it doesn't get the best out of you and your employees or the situation. So I love that work life integration. Um, we ran out of time ages ago because it's absolutely fascinating. But um, I will draw this episode to a bit of a conclusion. Um, and I think the, probably the best way to finish this is really what does the future have in store for One Young World and BMW? In the short term, we're all going to Tokyo in, when is it, May next year? I'm going to think where it is. And BMW will have a big delegation there, as well as a scholarship delegation of people that are outside BMW. They're also supporting one of the LEED 2030 prizes, which is where somebody can get $50,000 in a single year as a prize for wow, one of the things they're doing. that's a big change. And we have, we have, I think, for the next cycle, we have 16 of those prizes. And we're looking at, I think, future of work, as we discussed yesterday, conflict, sustainability. These things are in the short term and a new cohort of delegates coming to Tokyo, which should be, I would, I would think, is probably around 1,800 of them. But for the One Year World Organization itself, ideally, I would like to see over the next four to five years, it become an international organization by dint of treaty with the UK government. I think that we will achieve that. Why does that matter? Because that status gives us a better right and access to dealing with certain governments, particularly those in Asia. So I think there will be a change of that. will be the UK's first international organization by treaty in quite some time. I think the important thing about that is it will also enable us without losing the speed and flexibility that we have today. It will also enable us to make a better structure for all of our different stakeholders, whether it's host city advisory boards, global advisory boards, the ambassador board, we need to set up a partner board. So there's several things like that. Because you could look at One Young World as a small thing which has a, a big summit every year. Yay, you know, isn't that nice? Lots of happy young people. Or look at it as this community today of 13,000 young leaders and the biggest corporations in the world and now even some governments. It is a potent force and it needs more structure around it, which doesn't come naturally to me to make one of these big things. But I think that that's the right place. And for me, the best thing would be to see um, some of these young leaders go running for public office. We've got, I reckon it's about 1% run for public office, and they are sensational when they do. But it needs to be more. The fact, Ilka and I were talking about it previously, but the fact that the best of the best do not want to take up public office and public leadership is part of the problem. And that's, for me, Hopefully, a big concern. Yeah. I try to give a very short answer for BMW is leading the path to sustainable individual mobility. 
And at the same time, of course, to be successful as a company, because we are responsible for 120,000 people, their jobs, their payment. And I think that's a very, very simple, but difficult And the task. jobs in the supply chain and, and everything the else the that's attached chain, to yes. that. Wow. Huge, huge discussion today. I can't thank you both enough. It's been really, no, really thank insightful. Thank you, Nikki. Please really, you. really interesting. And it's given me a lot to think about as well. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, thank you so much. You have been listening to Ilka Horstmeyer and Kate Robertson. And my name is Nikki Shields. This is Changing Lanes. See you next time. <laughs>